Hello friends, welcome to 100 Degrees Below Freezing, a story and devotional podcast where we share the experiences we've had while following Jesus in the Alaskan bush. Sometimes odd, sometimes funny, sometimes painful, but always in light of Jesus. Grab something warm and join us in the adventure. Episode 6, Not a Mortician. There's a class in seminary called Pastoral Ministry, and in this class, one can expect to learn some of the basic event functions of being a pastor, such as performing a wedding, carrying out a baptism, leading in a Lord's Supper, and of course, serving in a funeral service. Now, in the instruction of leading a funeral, the responsibility for the pastor typically begins when the body has already been laid out in the coffin and is ready for the wake, viewing, and funeral. It does not typically begin right after the person has passed out of this life. It was a cold January Saturday morning when I got the call. A native elder who attended our church had died peacefully in his sleep. Now that part of pastoral ministry is an odd. Pastors get calls all the time about death. What was odd was that they were asking me to come and help prepare the body. I remember pulling up to the place of residence with a bewildered feeling. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. Typically in villages, if there's a death of an elder and nothing seems suspicious, the body is not sent into the medical examiner, of which the closest is Anchorage, being over 400 miles away. All care for the body is done locally. I knew this before this moment, but I had no idea exactly what that meant, and I was about to find out. The body is stripped, washed, and then moved from the deathbed to something temporary, like a stretcher, or in our case, a borrowed transport coffin owned by the clinic. Local men would work over the next couple of days to build a plywood coffin. There is a great deal of tradition and ceremony in death within the Athabascan people. The bedsheets and clothes that the person passed in are burned. They are to be dressed in new clothes which have never been worn. The body is only moved during daylight hours. In many villages, when there is a death, there are certain rules for the community as well. No cutting wood while a body is laid out in the hall. Children are not to be out by themselves after dark. Lots of customs, all of which I'm at this time completely unaware of. Thankfully, there were a few local individuals who were there to help and guide me through many of these things. On this particular weekend, it wouldn't be possible to get the body into the hall because of other events. So we transported his body to the church and staged the temporary coffin in a classroom. There's no embalming process for a local death, so men in the church, after helping to dress him in clothes that had come in on that afternoon's flight, made up bags of snow, double-wrapped in trash bags, sealed, and then placed all around the body. This, of course, was to keep the body cool, as it would be several days before the funeral service. We had the dilemma of what to do for the service the next morning because we were not sure that the hall would be available to move the body over until after the service had started. Basically, do we inform the kids who usually play hide-and-seek in those rooms before the service that this morning wasn't a good time for that? Thankfully, the hall did become available, and at first light, we transported the body there. Now, once the body is at the hall, it is never left alone. 24 hours a day until the burial, someone is with the body. People bring food to the hall, and it gets set up in a potluck, help-yourself style. There are usually a couple of tables set up that folks will sit around and play card games or visit at. Children chase each other 
and play tag. It's not necessarily quiet. People talk, laugh, tell stories. Someone might bring a guitar to play and sing old gospel songs. Friends and family will travel from nearby villages. During the winter months, many use snowmobiles to travel the frozen river to be a part of the viewing and funeral. The day of the funeral, the temperature outside was a balmy negative 25 Fahrenheit. The man's widow had asked me to do the funeral service, and I had the joy of sharing the gospel through the death of this brother in Christ. You see, I had only known him for a short while at the end of his life. For many attending, they knew a colorful past and youth. But all I knew of him was a sick and dying man who often, even when he didn't feel well, wanted to be at church. He expressed to me his thankfulness to God for Jesus. And so I was able to share the hope of Jesus with a full room. At the end of the service, the coffin is nailed shut, loaded into the back of a truck, and then driven to the end of the road. But that's not where the cemetery is. You have to load the coffin into a sled pulled by a snow machine and travel several more miles via a trail to get to the gravesite. I drove to the site on my Bravo snow machine, and the super-chilled air was sneaking in every crack it could find through my goggles and face mask. When we arrived at the site, it's obvious that men had labored long hours to dig a six-foot hole in the frozen ground. Once all the family and those traveling to the gravesite arrive, we have a short graveside service. We use ropes to lower the coffin into the ground, and then every man grabs a shovel and begins to fill the hole with the soil. As I rode home, I fought back tears as I thought about the reality of what I had just experienced. This is so not my cultural norm, and there are things that God has taught me through this experience that are incalculable in worth. You see, about two months prior to this, I had led another funeral, not in the village, but in Baker, Louisiana. It was the funeral of my own grandfather, Edward Kopp. Popol was a spiritual giant to me. He loved Jesus and my grandmother so well. He was such a great example to me. And it was an incredible privilege to perform his funeral. But what about that time before the funeral? How do we as Westerners care for our dead? Well, the answer is professionals take care of it. From the moment a loved one breathes their last until they are perfectly manicured in their commercially bought coffin, we don't get involved. As I compared these two experiences, I realized how much it helped in the grieving process to be involved in the whole process of preparation and burial. There was an honor in it, an ownership in it. And as I rode the cold miles home after burying this friend, I wished that I could have done the same for my grandfather. We have made death out to be such an unnatural thing in our society. And there are times when it certainly is untimely and unnatural. And yet, death as a whole is a gracious gift of God on this side of the consummation of all things. When God brings about the new heavens and new earth, he makes all things new and whole again. On this side, sin wreaks havoc on our bodies, on our relationships, and on the world at large. Death is gracious because the idea of living in a perpetual state of sin is the very definition of hell itself. Just as laughter and crying happen simultaneously at the hall, so it reminds us that life still happens. Life continues on. Grief and joy can happen even when death lays evident on the other side of the room. 
I've been greatly blessed by how my Athabascan friends have taught me this truth. Just before closing the lid on these two men's earthly vessels, I could say with certainty, I will see you again, and this because of Jesus. Neither of these men had been believers their whole lives, but they finished well. How about you? When the day comes for your friends and loved ones to close the book on your story, what legacy will you leave them to follow? Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of 100 Degrees Below Freezing. To you, friends, I say, stay warm and never stop needing Jesus. <laughs>